0: Episode 30 of the Pilot to Pilot Podcast takes off now. What is going on, Aviation Nation, and welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. My name is Justin, and I am your host. Today, I'm talking with Flying Eyes Sunglasses CEO and founder, Dean Saracusa. Some of the things we talk about in today's episode are how Dean turned a fear of flying into a passion for flying, what an airline pilot told Dean to help him combat that fear of flying, how it is okay if it takes you a long time to get your ratings, why it's important to learn from your mistakes, and what it's like to create a product, what it's like to see a need in an industry and go create it yourself. Aviation, I'm really excited to share this episode with you. I do wanna put the disclaimer out that I'm not just gonna promote any product for you guys. I'm only gonna promote products that I truly enjoy. I'm not trying to take advantage of anyone, not trying to sell you guys on any product at all, only buy this if this is something you need and you want, but I truly do stand behind this product. I loved using flying eye sunglasses. I've used them for the last month or two, and it's just been so lightweight. It has made my flights more enjoyable. We talk about a story about how these sunglasses actually helped the pilot complete in an emergency. We talk about how they helped him keep his eyes intact and how it actually shielded him and they stayed on his face and did their job. So go ahead and listen to this episode, check them out. If you want to buy some, go ahead and buy some. I truly do stand behind this product. even if like always if you like this episode go ahead and leave us a review on itunes let us know via email pilot at gmail.com reach out to us on instagram at pilot i hope you guys have a great day and without further ado here's dean saracusa hey dean thanks for coming on the pilot the pilot podcast
1: thanks justin i really appreciate uh, you having me here no problem i'm excited to have you on the show
0: it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, let's get started Excellent. All right. The first question I have for you and the first question I have for everyone is just, why aviation? What made you want to get into aviation?
1: Um, so I, uh, my dad was a private pilot when I was a kid uh, and he uh, had an unusual airplane called a Helio Courier. Uh, we, we, uh, he lived, uh, at the time, he lived out in uh, Southern California, and we, we flew the Helio even up to Alaska uh, one summer when I was a kid. And uh, camped along the way. It was a lot of fun um and uh, so that's, that that got me introduced to it and and you know how much fun it can be and, and what you do and uh he he actually got um he retired from his company when I was in college and sold his airplane and moved to Maui and that's where he lives now and he doesn't doesn't fly himself anymore uh he's 81 and he kiteboards and surfs
0: <laughs> oh my gosh that's awesome <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh which is nice but uh, after after I graduated from college I started I was uh I was road and track magazine staff photographer and I was traveling around the world for them and I developed a fear of flying oh, and I was like wow. what is this go what I don't understand this and an air, uh, uh, airline pilot buddy of mine uh I told what you know I we were having a beer one time and and uh, I told him that I was experiencing his you know sweaty palms white knuckles when I was on these commercial flights I said what's going on he says Go take some lessons. I said, why? He says, because you don't under, you're a control freak and you don't understand how it works. I said, mm. uh, but I said, I retorted, I was like, but you know, I flew with my dad when I was a kid. He says, yeah, but your dad's your hero and you, <laughs> and you're a kid. When you're a kid, you don't have a fear of mortality. And as an adult, you, you do. And, uh, go take some lessons. And I did. Um, and I took, uh, started taking lessons in, in, uh, 1999. Um, and, uh, got my license that year in my private and bought a little Skyhawk. But, but yeah, what, what taking lessons and learning how to fly taught me was that all of the fears that I had as a non-pilot, uh, turbulence, uh, you know, things like that are really non-issues. Uh, the things, but there are some things, things to be concerned about, of course, you know, like you know, flying when you're tired or flying when the airplane's not running right or, or in flying that in weather that is outside of your and your aircraft's capabilities. Right. Um, and, uh, but is if you mitigate those things, if you take care of those things, you know, it's safer than driving. It's safer than a lot of other things. Uh, and, uh, and so I, yeah, I turned a, turned a fear into a passion and, and, uh, I've, uh, I'm a single engine IFR, uh, pilot working on my, commercial rating, uh, cause it's a fun rating to get. That's awesome. And, uh, I've got 2,600 hours now, I think. Oh, cool. Uh, You're uh, tied with me. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, um, and most of it, uh, the vast majority of it is uh, high performance complex and, and cross country time. Um, I, my, my, my first airplane, not high performance or complex. My first airplane was a Skyhawk. Uh, but I flew it literally across the country from Southern California to Texas, and that's awesome, and all over it was a
0: lot of fun yeah that's really cool i love how uh, the airline pilot just told you to go take lessons just to to yeah just dive right in just understand what's happening in turbulence how the general public general population just doesn't know how much an airplane can actually take like they do stress tests on those aircraft and your average turbulence will not do anything to the airplane it might be kind of a a bumpy ride but your safety is really not a concern at that point and there's very rare times where turbulence actually causes injuries or actually causes accidents or anything like that so it's really cool that he could just told you to go take some lessons and figure it out how long into the lessons did you realize that you're starting to kind of get this passion of flying and just a love for small airplanes was it immediate did you know this was going to happen or did you think that i'll just try it i probably won't like it at all
1: well no I, i started it and i enjoyed it from the very first um i was still timid about it and i was still scared of it and i was scared of things like you know, stalls even mm-hmm. because, uh, my instructor at the time was, was timid about spin training. Oh, okay. And, uh, and so I was timid about stalls and, yeah. and it just kind of got, you know, that way. And I did my, you know, I did stalls fine and, and all that, but, but I was always kind of timid about it until after I got my private, I went and took, uh, aerobatic lessons and cured my fear of stalls. <laughs> um, and, uh, Completely. And, and then you realize, oh, well, that's what you've got to do to, to put the plane into a spin. That's how much rudder you got to put in to, to spin a, a, a typical Skyhawk. Wow. Okay. So don't cross control the airplane and you're probably not going to spin. But I was still, I was, even then, even once I got my pilot, private pilot's license and, and, and I got my plane, I was still a little timid about, about turbulence even then. And I, um, cause I was flying in Southern California and going up, uh, you know, along the Sierras and, And gotten the crap beat out of me by some crazy turbulence. I I finally put a G meter in the airplane because I was like, well, how bad is it? I know (laughs) that, you know, the, the load limits of, of a, you know, a typical airplane, a standard category airplane, or even utility category airplane. And and I was like, well, how bad is this turbulence? And so I put this, put the G meter in there and, um, and the worst turbulence I've ever experienced where literally headsets flying off, um, you know, it was really nasty, but, uh, it was like two and a half G's. Oh man. It was, that was it. Yeah. And I was like, well, okay. So I, you know, I still, I'm going to avoid really nasty weather and nasty, <laughs> nasty turbulence over Sierras, but I just realized that it was like, oh wait, the the airplane's way stronger than I am. And, um, uh, that, that increased my, my comfort level of dealing with, you know, regular turbulence and. And, uh, and it wasn't that big a deal. But uh, it just taught me that the airplane is really, really strong. And it's, it's uh, it increased my comfort level and, and reduced my tib- and timidness about about it.
0: Oh, without a doubt. I would love to get a G-meter for my plane and figure out what I'm doing when I'm yeah. flying through thunderstorms. <laughs> There's yeah. sometimes you're just like, even as the pilot, you're just kind of like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? And you try to figure out a way to get out of it. And right. sometimes you're just along for the ride. Most recently, I had a trip. I was coming from El Paso, Texas taking freight to Hamilton, Ontario, which is just south of oh. Toronto. And yeah. there's a huge front moving through. I was clearing <laughs> customs at Akron Canton. So my whole flight was fine until I got to like thirty minutes like the Indiana, Ohio border. That's when everything yep. just kinda went downhill. And I was beating this front into Akron and I was I crossed oh. over it. I luckily it was at night and it wasn't very high. I think the tops are at 250, but I was at okay. like 270, so I could, yep. I was just above it, but I knew the descent wasn't going to be very fun, and it wasn't. There was some icing. There was some oh. sh- really strong rain and some bad turbulence, but I ended up sure. beating it in Akron, and I cleared customs in like five minutes because she knew that she did the check, and she mm-hmm. knew that the weather was there. was trying to get out, and on the yep. way out, I was probably like two miles, five miles away from the, the solid red, and it I was oh. only, I leveled off at 9,000 feet because there was some pretty bad icing up at like 15 because it's a short right. flight. So we we're going to go all the way up and on the, the, the high of the flight levels. Right. So it was pretty rough. And the crazy part was, is the worst part of the flight was the farthest away from the storm. So once I got away from all the rain and away from the front is when the turbulence actually got worse. And I was at 9,000 oh. feet getting my head beat in. And I just couldn't understand. I was like, "This, there's nothing around me right now. Like, what is going on? So turbulence can be very unpredictable. And it's yeah. very disconcerting when you first start because obviously, I mean, you don't really know what's going on. You don't know why, like, like you said, you don't understand sure. how much the plane can actually take. But in yep. my mind, I just when I was training, I always just kind of thought of it as a, p- a car going over potholes. Like it's just potholes right. in the air a little bit, right. and your car's exactly. gonna be fine. And like, there's some big potholes out here that might hurt a little bit, but you're gonna be yep. all right.
1: Oh yeah, exactly. But it's it's um, you know it's funny when you're IMC turbulence always feels worse than it is. Oh, without uh, a doubt, <laughs> it's just it's just really funny. You know, the the tiny little bump. Oh, that's moderate. No, it's not moderate, but yeah, but, right. Uh,
0: it's like, no, that wasn't even that was trace. It, was, it wasn't right. even
1: like <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's, it's, um, but yeah, when you're IMC, it's, it's all more magnified. And, and you know, you gosh, even when you okay, uh, you probably experienced this totally smooth, you're IMC, but it's totally, totally smooth. And the engine makes an odd. Yeah, or just yeah. its tiniest little weight did i even hear that yep. no
0: <laughs> but in your in your head you're like oh my gosh what's happening like your heart rate increases to like 165 and you're over here freaking out sweating bullets like what was that and it was yeah. probably just like uh just some random noise in the in the yeah. front that you thought was the engine yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Anytime you think you hear an engine noise, I always <laughs> my senses are heightened and it's not yes. comfortable.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. I've actually Good.
0: had an engine failure before. I was flying a Cessna two oh six for an aerial survey company and we were coming yep. back from Washington DC. we were doing aerial survey in the CIFRA. So like Thank goodness it didn't happen in DC because who knows what the outcome could have been from there, whether we were, like yeah. shot down or <laughs> sure. where we could land. But it yeah. happened on our way back and we landed on an old oil field. Not an oil field, we landed pretty much on a mountain, but it was kind of flat and yep. it was owned by the oil fields and it used to be a retention pond up until like six months before we landed there. And oh. Right before we stopped, it was a, it was a really muddy day, it just rained, it was really cold. Oh. And so we landed and luckily that helped us out. That helped kind of grab the airplane and keep it on the ground because it true. wasn't very, wasn't very much room for us to land. And then wow. the plane started veering to the right toward a ditch and cool. we went up in the air and we kind of landed back on the ditch and there was no, no really airframe damage at all. The propeller was bent. That's about it. But that's a really good thing that that happened because there's two huge pressurized oil tanks that were about another 25 feet on the other side wow. of that ditch. So we would have kept going straight. We might not have stopped in time and that would have been, uh, not the best way. <laughs> yeah, that would have been very bad. So it was crazy. And, yeah. Wow. So yeah, anytime I hear an engine noise, I'm always kind of like, oh, what's oh, yeah. that? Yeah, what's exactly. going
1: on? Exactly. No, I, I've experienced that so many times, and, yeah. you know, it seems like it's it's. Uh, well, you definitely hear that more in with a piston aircraft than than uh, for sure. You know, and even you know even more with uh, it seems like with carbureted engines than uh, than a fuel injection. It's like you know some little bit of something just not quite perfect uh uh you know combustion of the engine it's like just changes that tiny little bit it's like wait what's that
0: yeah well it's like when you first start training and you got to burn off the magnetos a little bit to get the plane to start it's like well what that doesn't make any sense to like a new pilot why it's like wait why are we (laughs) flying after we just had to do this like that doesn't sound okay at all (laughs) So yeah, yep. It's yep. just those little things that yep. you learn when you're training in pilot. That might sound kind of weird, but you'll understand it as yes. you the further training you get. Yep, yep. Cool. Exactly. So going back exactly. to your training a little bit, what did you think about your training? Yeah. What was I know you said that you were afraid of flying at first, and then turbulence yep. was kind of your thing and stalls. What kind of other than you did aerobatic training? Was there anything else to help you get over stalls? Because I know that's kind of a common fear for new
1: pilots. Sure, you know what it really was time. Uh, and, and just traveling, um, once, so I took, um, there was the, the flight training that I, the primary flight training that I did was part 61. It was just a local flight school, um, in, in Southern California, Hawthorne airport, uh, that was, uh, literally a, a parallel approach to LAX, um, a mile and a half away from LAX. And, uh, That's uh crazy. <laughs> yeah, and, and learning how to fly in Southern California was, was, really good for me because it cured Mike fright really fast. Without because, a doubt. I mean, I'm talking to Hawthorne tower and I'm talking to SoCal approach. I'm talking to long beach tower. Um, you know, it's, 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 you're gotta talk to people. And the nice thing is, um, even SoCal, SoCal approach was always, uh, really friendly. Uh, at least to me, maybe I was, <laughs> maybe I was lucky. Yeah. But, uh, Never, never really had a problem with them. But what I quickly realized was, uh, you know, in that airspace, it can get really busy. So you learn to keep your, your, uh, your calls, uh, as you learn to be as efficient with your calls as possible. And, and you do that and no approach in the world or, or busy center frequency is going to be upset with you. It's get Get the point across. Hey, if it's, if it's uh, slow and quiet, you can, you can, you know, be funny or humorous. You can ask a question if you want to. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. When
0: when it's time for them to work, you need to figure out the most efficient way to say what you have on your mind and they will appreciate that so much. I can just, I agree with that a hundred percent just from seeing where I've gone for freight, just like. I did aerial survey which I was in and out of Bravos all the time. We did some government contracts in Texas where we we're in Dallas Bravo. We were down in Houston Bravo. Flying at <laughs> sure. forty five hundred feet above the approach ends and departure ends of the main airports. We we're getting yelled right. at all the time. So I kind of figured sure. out how to how to talk to them, how to <laughs> how to say as little as I want, but ask for a lot. And you figure yep. it out as you go and I know what you're talking about with Mike Fright. It's a real thing. I trained out of Ohio State University Airport, which is just outside of Columbus's Charlie. But we would uh, talk with the Charlie at all. we talk with the Delta. And I think just learning in a controlled airspace is so key because you just get shoved into it. You have to learn. Like there's nothing you can do other than learn. Or if you train outside of it, then you're going to – you might not – you say it's your cross-country time. You'd be like, well, I'll just go to this uncontrolled airport rather than this Delta because you're too afraid. But you just need to know what's going on. And with this freight job that I have now, I go to Atlanta-Hartsfield. I go to – um, we go to Dulles, we go to JFK, we go to all the big sure. airports and a PC twelve and and even a caravan, and they don't like you being there sometimes because oh. you're too slow for them and you mess up a lot of stuff. So you really gotta gotta try to yep. make them happy and do everything that they say or else it can get yeah. kind of interesting pretty fast.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I've taken single engine pistons to uh to Broward airports uh before and you know, the secret is keep your speed up as fast as you can. But a number of pilots that I've known have only know only one way to fly their plane or one way to land their plane. Right, you know, Agreed. Stabilized approach or whatever. And that's the only way they you know how to do it. And the, I think knowing multiple ways to get the airplane in and out of places, you know, high and steep if needed, you know, whatever, um, uh, is basically knowing the limits of your airplane. Uh, so you can stay out of the way of, you know, that, uh, that 737 it's you know 5 mile uh, 5 miles behind you and closing yeah,
0: fast for sure yeah there's it's crazy i was actually landing in houston at the one of the bravos there i can't remember which uh-huh. one now and I was on final, and they told me to stay hundred and ninety knots until five mile final and I was parallel with a regional jet on the other runway. I sure. was beating the regional jet to where I was going. I was going <laughs> faster than him, and I was like, "Why am I going faster than this guy like what is happening?" yeah, <laughs> so it was cra- and then on it's- take and then on takeoff they had me I was behind a triple seven, and the triple seven was behind a seven fifty seven and I was just like, "Oh my yep. gosh, my little oh, p c yeah. twelve is about to get blown over
1: <laughs> I've flown into uh in, that's in Houston Intercontinental and I I've flown in there in in an Arrow and a Skyhawk and in the and the Myers 200 in. That's and awesome. uh and yeah I mean what what I've um had to do on on occasion is they would um they would have me kind of in you know, on a tight downwind that I would normally fly in this airplane and they said how quickly can you do, can you make a short approach? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> <I> can, <laughs> you know, basically, uh, you know, pull the power, full flaps, uh, and, and bring it in as quickly, you know, basically point the nose down and and bring it as quickly as possible and get out of their way. And yeah. you know, that's, I mean, heck, those, those runways at intercontinental are what 10, 12,000 feet. You're right, long. It's yeah. like, don't need much runway. You don't need to land on the numbers. You don't just no. get there. And there's plenty of turnoffs, plenty of high speed. For sure. Just get on the ground,
0: get on the ground, get off the taxiway and then yep. They'll get, love you. get ready for the taxi because a lot of times the taxi is the more kind of the harder part than the <laughs> actual
1: landing, <laughs> especially the intercontinental, yeah. man, there's, oh gosh, yeah, taxi,
0: blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. It's like, wait, I thought you could only give me three instructions at once. What's happening? <laughs> Welcome to Bravo. I know, right? Welcome to the Bravo life. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, also yeah. in your training, you said you did 61. Did you do any 141 training or just all 61?
1: All 61. I did just basically my own book work, uh, did some, uh, had some King videos at the time uh, videos, (laughs) you know, um, and, uh, and, you know, took the, took the written myself or well, not myself, but took the written locally. Right. Um, and, um, just, just had my single instructor. And, uh, so I was at the time I was, um, a commercial photographer. I was shooting, Car commercials for the car companies, and That's awesome. I. That's awesome. I would travel. I was I was more known as a, a location guy, and so we we travel to remote locations and be there for. Uh, we'd be in Moab, Utah, for six weeks of, of filming, and uh, and I so I'd have to stop, stop my training, and uh, and then when I get back, start over, and and so so regular classroom really I I, I would never finished. Um, right. I had to do it. Basically, this way. Otherwise, uh, yeah. That never sounds been.
0: similar to my training because I did it at Ohio State. It was a part one one forty one uh-huh. university, uh-huh. and I played football at Ohio uh-huh. State as well. So it was oh, kind cool. of similar to that, where I had huge chunks of time where I could train. Or not huge yeah. t- I had huge chunks of time where I could not train during the season, during training, during spring ball. It was pretty much summer and like two weeks during the year that I could train. So in the summertime, I'd get everything I could, get as close sure. as I could to take my private. Then the season would come. Then I had to take like six months off and then I'd start back uh. over. And then it's like, you're starting over almost yeah. It's like, Oh, it's yeah. It's rough. And it, yep. it took me like three years to get my private pilot license. So if, it take, if it's yep. taking anyone a long time, it's okay. You can still become a yeah. pilot. You can still go after your dreams. But after I graduated, I realized that it was just taking a long time and I wanted to get, I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. So I wanted to get oh. back to the sunshine and just nice weather. Sure. And I went down there and I got my instrument, my commercial, my multi-engine commercial all done in a year down there at a part 61 school, which is just, amazing and it just went by so fast i could schedule whenever i wanted i'd also obviously i didn't have football around me so i didn't have to worry about that (laughs) but it just it worked out perfectly for me and i'm a huge i I love part 61 schools just because it is what you make it to be you get out of it what you want to get out of it you get to choose what you want to do every single day and i kind of like having that freedom
1: yeah definitely no i um my uh my primary training took me a year uh to to get it done i started I started in the the fall of 98 and I didn't get my license until, uh, the fall of uh, 99. And, uh, uh, and yeah, same thing. It just, it was busy for me. And then, yeah, for my, for my instrument rating, uh, um, I, um, I basically carved out some time and did a, basically a two week, uh, just nonstop course. And it was, it was two, two week program, but, um, I had already been practicing, uh, I've been doing, I, I, by then I had several, uh, flight instructors who were friends who we had go, we would just, you know, go do practice approaches and had some non-formal training in, in IFR before I got serious about it. And, uh, so it went pretty quick. That's good, Um,
0: yeah. Because IFR, you kind of just got to devote all your time to because it's just it's a lot of information, but you have to know it, and you you will be able to know it. You just got to go after it. You can't you can't take time off very much in IFR training. I mean, there's a couple of students that probably get it right away, but you got to go after it, and you got to do it a lot. And even after your IFR, even after your rating, you got to. Be proficient. You can't just be okay with having your IFR ticket. You have to actually go fly approaches. You have to actually go fly in clouds. Because even when I take like four days off for my off days, I'm going back up, flying through thunderstorms. I'm like, all right, here we go. Yeah. This should be fun. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. So I can't imagine taking like two months or even six months of not flying like six approaches or anything like that.
1: Right. I mean that's why you have to do an instrument proficiency check uh yeah. if, you're, if you're if you if you do laps um and and rightly so. It's yeah. it's a diff- it's a very different thing than just uh you know if I uh, I have taken some time off from from flying not on purpose just because I'd get busy with things. Right. And you know getting back into the swing of just flying VFR it's you know muscle memory almost Right. To
0: yeah, just, you just need like a, an hour or two just to kick off the rust and go out and land exactly. you'll be fine. Yeah exactly exactly
1: so yeah that's that's a lot of fun
0: yeah and going to ifr too there's so many more just kind of there's so many more things that can happen. i mean like even when we're talking about yes. turbulence where it feels so much worse in ifr and then say you yes. like you get in turbulence you put your head down you pick your head back up then all of a sudden your brain's like wait are we straight and level or oh, not yeah. straight and level so there's just so many other things that can happen wow. that you need to kind of really? be on top of your toes and on top of the aircraft and it's easy to get behind the aircraft in those the situations. Leans. Yeah. yeah i mean
1: I, the, you know i got my instrument rating in a in a Skyhawk this was back in 2004 and uh had an ADF uh <laughs> had a had a I had a GPS a Garmin 430 in it but but no autopilot and uh you know in a in a Skyhawk where you're you know you're more like a kite than than anything else <laughs> going in turbulence just any just go IMC yeah. and any little variation in in things it's like yeah. And then you get the leans or, or, or a bit of vertigo or whatever. You just like, nope, trust your instruments. And yeah. You can s- confirm that your instruments are fine. And, and you just, yeah, no matter what. Boy, I'll tell you, it's, you get kind of spoiled with, uh, when you're IMC with, with a functioning autopilot. And yeah, you just, do. <laughs> cause, cause you can see it and watch it. And yeah, you start feeling weird, but it's like, no, I'm confirming that this all right is right. And well, the autopilot says it's right too. And yeah. yeah confirm that but
0: we fly older autopilots on our pc12s and occasionally Uh. they kind of go offline a lot so we get one (laughs) big bump and all of a sudden the plane's like doing like a climb and a 30 degree turn to the left and and it goes Ah, off and we have to save it come back and we're at like 270 trying to save it in the middle of a thunderstorm or we don't really fly in thunderstorms at 270 but it's just yeah it's just can be interesting and be fun sometimes but yeah autopilots are very nice to have i can't imagine flying eight hour 10 hour days without having an autopilot because that just makes your life a lot easier as a pilot
1: yeah, that's yeah, it's so true. It Definitely. makes a big difference. I, you know, flying the flying that Skyhawk from Southern California to say Texas, you know, it'd be twelve hours of flying in the Southwest desert of U.S. It's rare that you're going to be IMC out there very very often. It's right. usually in the coast, or unless it's monsoon like that. season
0: or something like right. that. But even then, right. I'm sure the clouds are probably at like ten thousand feet.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They're usually much higher than you fly. So it's, um, but still long, long days and and. Um, I just did it cause I, I, you know, I like flying and I like, I wanted to ideally do it in one day if I, if I could, if I, if it was, uh, you know, or when, when, uh, during the summer in the Skyhawk, when I was flying from California to Texas, no matter how early I left, I would only make it to say El Paso before the, the afternoon buildups would, oh my would gosh, uh, yeah. start. And it's like. Well, okay, let's see. There's Deming, there's Lordsburg, or there's Las Cruces. I'll just land in one of those places and spend the night because, you know, in about an hour, uh, it's going to be raining and you do not want to be near those thunderstorms nope. uh below them for sure. And the
0: hail that's associated with those thunderstorms <laughs> oh, is crazy gosh. too. I've spent a probably like three weeks in Las Cruces, which is funny you mentioned that. I actually had to get yeah. – I had to get maintenance done there because our brakes wore off all. we our aerial survey company I flew through, had some obviously if you can't tell, we had some interesting maintenance stuff yeah. happen. And yeah. like a normal aerial survey company though. But yep. the brakes were I was doing a run up and I had my feet on the brakes and the plane was still moving when I was just sitting at pretty much at idle when I pulled the power back and I was like, All right, something's not right. So <laughs> took hey. it there and they said I had no brakes whatsoever. <laughs> and so wow. had to get what, those brakes there. It was a Cessna three ten. Okay. Yeah, I was there pro two thousand fourteen, two thousand thirteen time. So I I like Las Cruces. It was a nice little area. I love. I like flying, and sure. uh, I flew through. A, we did aerial survey over El Paso County, so I spent a lot of time in El Paso, and now I spend a lot of time oh. in El Paso as well, clearing customs and going through, going to Mexico and stuff. So I know those parts of the country that you're talking about very well.
1: So so what is it with? Uh, I've flown that area, gosh, so much over the years. For some reason there's always turbulence uh like around and east of El Paso. And I I don't know
0: Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. There's always turbulence there and the <laughs> winds are always gusting like thirty knots. I don't know yeah. what it is at El Paso. It's always windy, it's always yep. it's usually always sunny, but it's usually always windy yeah. as
1: well. Oh yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly.
0: So we were talking about your IFR training a little bit. Did you like IFR training more than your private? I've talked to some people that said IFR training is just like their favorite flying. That's when everything kind of clicked for them. Was that the same for you, or do you think it was a little bit harder for you?
1: It was um, more challenging. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's it's the you know by that time I had uh, four or five hundred hours. I have to go back and look four or five hundred hours of uh, of uh, total time experience um, and. So I was definitely comfortable with the just muscle memory of of flying uh but yeah it, it was uh it was a challenge it, it was but it was a challenge i i liked um and it was i'd say it was difficult you know gosh uh, things you know it's a simple. Well, simple things. the the things (laughs) like um, yeah, you know, entering holds, things like that. But but the act of you know actually flying an approach, I actually like that part, yeah, because it's it's a precision thing and and uh, getting getting the airplane dialed in, and uh, that part's fun.
0: Yeah, it's like a skill. It's like you're competing against yourself and how well you can fly that airplane, and that definitely. I did my IFR training, and it kind of kept my competitive spirits up after I quit football or after I retired from mm-hmm. football. Oh, sure. And so it was a lot of fun for me to to go out and fly and see, <laughs> oh, I can fly this approach, see how low, see if I can get in. Just I don't mm-hmm. know, It's just, just a lot of fun. And if you haven't flown IFR, don't be afraid of it. It's a lot of fun. Fly through the clouds. You'll enjoy it. Definitely. Legally, of course.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> awesome. So what about your check rides? What were your check rides like? Did What was your hardest check
1: ride, would you say? Um yeah hardest check ride was my was my instrument check ride mm-hmm. uh, it was by the same uh, examiner that that did my private and okay. i and i i i'd known the guy uh, southern california uh uh pilot uh examiner uh named pat carey and he's an old uh uh vietnam uh helicopter pilot oh, cool. character great guy um
0: he sounds like he'd be tough
1: <laughs> yes well yeah and um, so I had a, you know, I had a you know, little Skyhawk at the time and, and, uh, I had a Garmin 430. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was, uh, this was 2004 when I got my, my instrument rating. And, um, so, you know, GPS approaches were just, you know, just coming online and, and, uh, and I had an, uh, ADF in the airplane. So I, and I did not, uh, write in op on it. And, uh, um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, my instructor had, you know, taught me how to do an NDVI ndb approach and, and it's like it, it was once you get used to those it's it's actually not as difficult x they're pretty easy i think yeah but um so so one of the approaches he gives me is um uh, is a ndb approach and well it was a ndb approach with a g it had a gps overlay they were they were so that it was uh uh you could you could technically do either but he said he wanted me to do an ndb and i was like okay well i still put in the I still put in the approach into the Garmin. Oh, for sure, <laughs> as well. It's good backup. Yeah, and um, and I did that, and uh, so I was flying towards the needle, and uh, on the NDB approach, and all of a sudden the needle goes out and starts spinning. And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> and uh, and 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 you know I'm you know I have the the audio on the uh, uh, NDB um, on the ADF. Uh, on on my audio panel, so I'm listening for it, and it goes out literally oh, wow. on my approach. The radio is turned off. The radio station is turned off. Interesting. I'm like,
0: wait a minute. What are the chances? <laughs>
1: what are the t- well? Yeah. And so I'm like, okay. Do I break off the approach? My my first thought is, well, I need to break off the approach because that goes out, and it's like, wait a minute. My Garmin is still on, and I've got the GPS overlay on it. I can continue. Cause I can see it and I'm just going to continue. And I look at him and he, he doesn't say anything. He's, you know, he's a check writer. He's an examiner. He's not right. going to tell you right or wrong. And I said, I'm, you know, I'm going to continue this approach because it's a, I can, I can continue. And, um, uh, uh, turns out, you know, I made the right deci- either, either decision, I guess would have been fine. Right. Um, uh, but I made the right decision and, uh, you know, landed just fine. Um, now he will, deny this um <laughs> but uh i like pat, where this is uh, going <laughs> uh, well pat knows uh, he's he's a fixture in southern california He's a great guy and he knows all of the controllers um and we were vfr we were totally vfr that day um uh, but uh i think he talked he, he, i think he had no a, a conversation <laughs> with controllers at uh, at that little airport and uh, had him turn the uh turn the uh adf off
2: oh
0: my gosh uh, What a puck.
1: I know. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I guess he just wanted to see your decision making. And I think maybe he I don't think he would do that with a normal student. I think maybe he knew that you could handle some adversity and he wanted to see what you would do. And obviously you did a good job, but that is that is really funny and that would be (laughs) terrible and hilarious at the same
1: time if he actually did that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Exactly. Exactly. I'm you know, it it was it was in the early days of GPS. Um and when when GPSs were you know going in more and more aircraft, and um, they were mostly overlays, they didn't have the vertical guidance or anything like that at the time. And um, it was uh, there was a lot of skepticism about GPS, about how useful it is, and that's why you know my instructor taught me how to use the uh, use the um, uh, NDVs uh, or the the ADF for N D B approaches uh, because. Well, at the time that was you know, this GPS was a really new thing. So yeah. let's use all the tools that you got and they're still available. Um and uh it was uh I it was a good thing. It was it was a it was definitely a good test of, of my decision making, that's for sure.
0: Definitely, yeah. And I'm sure he knew that you would make the right decision, that's why he trusted you with that situation.
1: <laughs> well, like I said, it was PFR too. Yeah, it, you know, it wasn't it was a blue sky day. Yeah. Uh it wasn't like uh I was yeah. You if know, if that really happened, uh where where they had him turned off, it was a blue sky day and, and there was no problem with it. But you know, who knows? Maybe it was just a, a crazy accident that, yeah. that that happened.
0: That sounds uh sounds like it's a little fishy to me. <laughs> <laughs> so with all your flying that you've done you've flown pretty much done a lot of like real actual cross countries have you had any kind of scary flights have you had any interesting things happen what's oh, been sure. yeah can you, you want to talk about some of those
1: let's see boy where i even begin there the uh the, the scariest earliest one was uh coming back from uh reno down to southern california through the owens valley this is before we had uh ADSB and and even uh, and satellite weather and and, uh, and so I got I got weather information in, in Reno and uh, uh, it was uh, going to be windy that day but it was it was there was a front coming up from the from the south from Mexico kind of unusual but uh, it wasn't you know my always my biggest concern flying over the Sierras is is if it's really high winds uh, from from west to east going over the sierras cause that's when you can get some really big nasty turbulence over yeah. the sierras I wasn't doing that that day <laughs> um i said okay well you know it, it probably you know it's going right down the the, the the valley it's going to be i'm going to get a headwind yeah but uh but it and it didn't see it, it was forecast to be you know gust into you know 18 or something like that it wasn't going to be that that bad well they wow. were wrong and um it was, and I just—it was in 2000. Was when when this happened. I just got my license the the, uh, the year before, and I maybe had 150 hours or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Um. And, and it was the kind of turbulence that I mean, it was at I don't know eight, eighty-five or ninety-five hundred feet. Um. And it was the kind of turbulence that literally we were getting updrafts and downdrafts, and no matter if I flew close to the side of the of the valley. Or in the middle, it was you're just getting the crap beat out of you. I mean, it felt like you're going upside down and backwards. And it was like, <laughs> and "There's in the Owens Valley uh, on the it's basically on the on the uh, lee side of uh, the Sierras. There's lots of uh, lots of airports to land on. There's Bishop and there's um, Lone Pine and there's all these little airports along the way that I could have landed at because I wanted to get down because I I was you know this time I I was still about a little timid about turbulence, but But then I realized, do I want to try to land in this crap? Because I was getting, I was getting, um, I was getting up and down drafts that were pegging the VSI. Oh, man. And, and down drafts that were doing the same thing. I was like, um, I don't want to land in this. So I'm just going to keep going, no matter how bad it got. And it would just, it scared the crap out of
0: me. Yep. That's when you're probably continuing second-guessing yourself. You're like, all right, should I have landed? Should I still land? Should I do this? Should I still fly? Like, what can I do differently? Right. Yeah, and there's so many factors that are coming in. Like you said, your VSI is being pegged. You probably have the power all the way back. The plane's descending or climbing, doing crazy things. You're like, well, I literally don't know what to do right now. Like, you're just along for the ride.
1: All I – you know, it was the the classic training of all you can do is just keep the wings level.
0: Yep. Just fly the plane.
1: Fly the airplane and keep out of the yellow arc and – you know, uh, to keep it keep it between the stall and the yellow, and and uh, and just fly the airplane. Yeah. And I did, and you know, I get back down to, to Southern California and land, and you're just like a puddle of goo.
0: <laughs> you think there's something, yeah, hey, I'm gonna take a week off from flying. You yeah. know,
1: <laughs> yeah, it scared. And that's yeah. how much it scared me. It was like it was it was yeah. crazy. But but that was the time that I realized that, I mean, that was you know, headset flying off, not the first time, but. Uh, first time I experienced that kind of turbulence where the headsets flying off, where, you know, you got stuff flying everywhere, but it happened for an hour and I had headwinds.
0: Um, that's a long
1: time. Yeah. But I, you know, I really, you know, I was glad to be on the ground, but I also realized, well, yeah, I'm going to be more cautious about, you know, flying in in adverse weather, but also, Hey, the airplane actually did better than me. Yeah. Uh, Right. Um, (laughs) Not long after that, I did put a G meter in the airplane, and that's when I learned about how turbulence generally isn't ever that bad. Yeah, uh, but but uh, would I go do that again? No, <laughs> but, <laughs>
0: probably not. Yeah,
1: no. But yeah, exactly. it's a good learning but, experience, right? Right. Exactly. But I realized how strong the airplanes are. Yeah. And that's how uh,
0: flying is. You learn from, from, like you said, you learn from those, those not necessarily mistakes, but you learn from those kind of just moments where you figure out, Oh, the airplane can handle a lot more than this. And that's not saying you should go fly it into worse stuff, but just know that you can handle the stuff that you've done. And you kind of set your own limitations from that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I know people who would take that, that learning experience and, See how far you can push it. Yeah. And I'm I'm not that guy.
0: Yeah, I'm not that guy either. I find my <laughs> limitations in uh, freight world. It's easy for to have people push you. Not just not saying oh, my sure. company, but just there's so, oh. the customers. You have so many people just involved in this one. Sometimes it's a one envelope and like. Oh three pounds and it's you to fly through a front and it's just like, this does not make any sense whatsoever. (laughs) But you, you learn, you learn your, what you're comfortable in, you learn how close to thunderstorms you feel safe to fly and just approaches and everything. So it's all about just learning experiences and just building that, that knowledge and building how comfortable you can be in those situations.
1: Yeah. And you know, as a, as a, as a commercial pilot, it's, it's your job, when to say no. And, you know, you, it, that's a hard thing to say. And there, there's some pilots who, who have not said no, uh, to their judgment. Um, yeah. and, but it's, it's the, uh, you know, not just knowing the limits of, of, uh, of yourself, but of the airplane and really being honest with yourself. It's like, it's like, no, it's not safe. Or, right. you know what? It, I, it's not just, you know, that fudge factor of, you know, Okay, what's the the ultimate load of this aircraft? Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to know. No, for sure. I don't want to have to get to that point.
0: Well, it's not even, like you said, commercial pilot. It doesn't even have to go to commercial pilots. You could be a private pilot going to go fly your friends, and your friends are putting pressure on you to go back home because they don't understand what it's actually like and that you maybe don't feel safe to fly there, but they're like, hey, you brought us out here. I need to get back for my million-dollar business meeting tomorrow. It's like, dude, I'm sorry. Can't do it. So It's not even commercial pilot. It can be a private pilot, interim pilot. Learn how to oh. say no early. It is one of the most important skills you will learn because no one's going to doubt you for safety. Someone might kind of That's frown right. upon it and might be upset with you, but they're going to be much happier being on the ground, yeah. being alive than ending up who knows, flying a plane into a mountain or whatever could happen.
1: Exactly. Why my uh, my wife uh, and her family is uh, is from St. Louis, and uh, and when um, we take the Myers two hundred from Southern California out to St. Louis, and that was. Um, was a, that was a, uh, eight hours, eight hour day of flying, uh, seven and a half, I guess, something like that. But, um, and, uh, we could usually do it in one day pretty easily. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, I'm, I am, when we're planning on flying anywhere, I'm looking at the weather starting a few days out just to see what to expect. And, you know, and, um, if the weather is not not good i we won't go and it would drive uh my wife's uh mom crazy it's like she would like she's a planner she yeah. wants to know when we're arriving so we, she can be ready for whatever and i'd be like well we're may arrive today we may arrive <laughs> tomorrow we might arrive the next day might be there uh, in three weeks we don't know right and, you know we'll go there there have been times when we would make start a trip and Uh, that's such a long flight going half, literally more than halfway across the U S that, you know, weather can change it, can change quicker than, than than that predicted. And, uh, you know, there's been times where we get even across the, the Rockies and, um, uh, you know, the, the front is moving slower or faster or the buildups are moving slower, you know, come up quicker or whatever. And it's like, well, you know what? Uh, we're not going to go any further. Hey, look, there's uh Pueblo. I've never been there. Let's, let's go there. it's spend the night.
0: Yeah. I've heard they have a good taco place there. <laughs> right. Exactly.
1: Um, yeah. but that, I mean, for me, it made it easier to make those decisions, those, those decisions that can be difficult for somebody. Sometimes it was easy for me because I like going to new places. Yeah. So if, you know, if the weather is, is deteriorating, well, Let's go there. we out for a flight. Where are we going? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it ends up being fun. It's like, hey, I get to land at a new airport. Yep. Um, and we get to, you know, try a, another place. And this is this started. Well, we experienced the, the trips to St. Louis before we were married. And, and, um, uh, and we, I quickly realized why I needed to marry uh, her as well because she, <laughs> she understood enjoyed it. That too. Yeah. She, she enjoyed the experience of like, well, what's this place like? Oh, I don't know. Let's, let's try it. And we you know, find a great restaurant and find a nice little hotel. And, you know, it was, it was awesome. And, and, uh, it's like, wow, I I should, I should keep her. She likes this kind of stuff too.
0: Sounds like you made Um, a good decision.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I did. Definitely. Well, we've got a five and a half year old daughter and, uh, uh, and, and she's, um actually my daughter flies, uh has, has I mean, she's not doesn't have a pilot's license, but right. That'd be awesome she if uh, did <laughs> she's, she's I know, right? Yeah. But she's old enough that um she's mature enough that I put her in the front seat of the airplane and she can hold a heading, she can turn, she can go up, and down, and she can actually turn on to a heading. That's awesome. Uh I didn't realize that until we were coming back to Austin one time just recently. And uh the approach, Austin approach gave us a, you know, heading, fly heading three zero zero and it was a turn, turn left, fly heading three zero zero. And, um, she did. That's and she, so I, cool. <laughs> I was like, wow. Hey, you're creating now. a monster. A little bit. You know, it. <laughs> a flying yeah. monster. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you, you laugh, but, uh, uh, she'll, you know, I'll pick her up from, from kindergarten and she'll, she'll get into the car through the front seat. And, uh, through the driver's seat. And uh, I say, Oh, you know, jokingly, I, 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 okay, Tori, I'll, I'll sit in the backseat. You, you drive. I say, dad, <laughs> I don't know how to drive. I can fly an airplane, but I don't know how to drive.
0: <laughs> That's really funny. So, like, yes. Come on, dad. You know that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But Shelly, my wife, um, she, um, uh, she can talk on the radio. She's perfectly comfortable flying. Uh, she wants to get her pilot's license. It's just a matter of, uh, finding the time uh yeah, finding the
0: time that there's a lot of time going into it so yeah definitely exactly but i think it's important for that situation not in, they don't need to necessarily have to have their private pilot license but say you have a plane yep. whether you're you're a significant other just th- they know what's going on so in case anything yes. does happen they need to know yes. there are some classes out there that teach the wives or husbands of yeah. people that own planes how to land how to talk how to do things just so they know because flying you and you never know what can happen yes. in flying. Every day is different. Right. Adversity That's happens. Right. Whenever you think it's not going to happen, it will happen. <laughs> so it's important yep. for them to know what to do in those situations.
1: Very, very important. And, uh, and fortunately, <clears throat> yeah, my wife and daughter like flying enough that they actually like to learn those things. And That's uh, good. It's definitely helpful. Good. Mm-hmm. So we're
0: talking about decisions a little bit. And you made a decision to create your own company, aviation company. Do you kind of want to go into detail about that?
1: Sure, absolutely. So one of the frustrations that occurred to me um over the years of flying was uh, I realized when I um uh, when I first started flying, I had an old Peltor uh headset that you know, it it sort of reduced noise a bit. Um, <laughs> um <laughs> kind was, of you yeah, didn't realize how
0: bad it was until you got a Bose or Lightspeed, it, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I bought I I finally was talked into buying a, a Bose headset. I was like, "Oh, Wow. OK. Well, um, when headset manufacturers started really seriously competing with 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 who is the quietest, there's two. There's only two ways to make a headset quiet. And that is one is active noise cancellation um, or clamping force. And they they all use, you know, at least some clamping force, even if it's a little. Um, but it's it's more than it used to be. Um, and, you know, a lot of them are active noise cancellation now. And, uh, what I realized was my sunglasses, um, hurt, gave me a headache after a while. It just really annoyed me. And, uh, you know, uh, this was around 2010, uh, when, uh, I was getting tired of, of working in the, uh, in the, uh, film industry, uh, shooting commercials and pondering what I was going to do next. And my wife said, you know, this, this bothers you. Why don't you uh, solve it? okay
0: um, <laughs> easier said than done sometimes right, right? Exactly. Yeah. well
1: i spent you know I spent a good bit of time seeing if there was really any any eyewear out there that would actually work and really wasn't so i i actually um i found a, a an eyewear manufacturer and um uh, they helped me solve the problem uh basically come up with the materials and the and the frames the frame. Uh, designs with with my uh, with my input and requirements. That's
2: awesome. And
1: he created uh, our original hawk frame uh, in 2012. We introduced it and uh, got a patent awarded for that in 2014. And uh, and started selling them to you know pilots directly. That's so cool. Directly through our website and started you know expanding. We we have more and more retailers now. Um, and. Uh, Quickly learned a couple of things as as we started selling them. Is one frame style isn't an eyewear company, and one frame style may functionally solve the problem, but uh, they look great on a lot of people, but they don't look great on everybody. Right, and uh, there are more people than just pilots that have this issue. Um, I started getting. Uh, pilots who happen to ride motorcycles or happen to be surgeons and work in the operating room and need all of these different types of people, even firefighters. Uh, if you look, notice a fire truck that goes by your, goes by you now, they're all wearing David Clarks. Oh yeah. Um, I haven't noticed that. And uh, and you recognize the color, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, for oh, sure. Right. Yeah. yeah,
0: you don't even really think about it, and like obviously we've seen David Clark's all the time. So like, oh, they got David Clark on. That's cool, <laughs>
1: right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and so the uh, we realized that the market was bigger than just aviation, and aviation's a good sized market too. And uh, and we need to, to create a wider frame style frame designs. Um, and so I uh, in two thousand uh, 15, uh, we, uh, I hired a, a designer that, uh, used did some work for Oakley for a number of years. Um, and I, uh, found a new material that nobody else is using that can be molded, uh, injection molded very, very thinly. Uh, it can be flexible, but it won't break. You can bend it all day long and it won't break. And, uh, so the, the, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. Our original frames had interchangeable temples that you could change—standard temples, or these micro thin temples, or the strap and cinch system. Which, which all of these things work really well under a headset. But having these these new designs uh, with the material, using material that you just you just wear the glasses. Yeah. You don't have to worry about anything, you just wear them. Um, and so we we introduced those uh, last fall. Uh, it's our comfort style line. And uh, they've been really, really popular uh, in the aviation community and motorcycle community and, and, and firefighters, EMTs, uh, and we're expanding uh, internationally. We have uh, retailers around the world that carry our glasses.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool. I love just the fact that you – I've talked with a couple other CEOs. I talked to the FlightAware CEO, and I talked to the Log10 Pro CEO, and I just love hearing pilots that want to do more than just fly. I love hearing kind of the entrepreneurial spirit and I love that they saw demand. They saw a need. Right. And rather than wait for someone to create something, they went and did it themselves. And yeah. I just think that is so cool. It's just because we can. pilots can be so much more than just fly an airplane. Yes. We have other skills that we can do. We can use. We can still do other things and still fly. You can be a commercial yeah, pilot. Sure. You can fly for an airline. Or you can buy your own plane and just fly for fun. Yeah. Or I just interviewed someone that uses a Premier One Driver where he has a Beechcraft Premier that he yeah. flies for his company. So you can do yeah. so many other things and still be involved. It. Wow. Still be involved. <laughs> involved in aviation which is just so cool and it's exactly. just I don't know any other careers that you can do that in
1: yeah it's true it's um, it's an amazing thing uh, you know especially gosh i know I know a number of commercial pilots uh, airline pilots who because of their seniority have you know and, and they're flying international flights um, they have a fair amount of time off that they can yeah. do you know real estate investment or real estate broker or, or you know all these things that were invent they can be an inventor or uh, entrepreneur of some kind. So that you can you can actually do other things while you're still getting to actually have fun flying as well.
0: For sure, and it's like the podcast. I w- I had so much free time. I had so I have worked ten days on. I have four and a half days off, and four and a half days off might not sound like a lot, but <laughs> being a pilot, you're used to going, 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 going. You get you yep. sit down for a day, and you kind of have a lot of free time. And I w- yep. I filled it with more video games and stuff that didn't help me become a better person or provide or just uh be a part of society and then my wife was like hey what else can you do you need to do something else she's like why don't you start a podcast and I was like all right you know I'll look into it I'll do it and with her pushing me to do it and with kind of just what I know about aviation it kind of turned into this and I'm so glad that it happened so Yeah, yeah
1: definitely me too
0: well, yeah, for sure. And I'm, like I said, I'm so thankful. I just received my clarifying eyes and I haven't gotten to wear it with a, with a headset yet because I'm off right now, but I will definitely be doing it. My other Excellent. sunglasses that I wear are older. They're about four-year-old Ray-Bans, the Wayfarers. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. They're very thick and <laughs> yeah. I've noticed the headaches <laughs> and I know yeah. the, the struggles and the pains that you're talking about. So I'm excited to to use your sunglasses and uh, be more comfortable when I fly because we fly for a long, long time. I exactly. see sunrises and sunsets on the same flight. So it's going to be, yeah. it's going to be good.
1: Yeah. And so th- that's the thing about, about, uh, our, our glasses is, is, um, with, with standard glasses, with noise attenuating headsets, you know, modern Bose headsets or light speeds. Um, if you have a, a thick pair of, 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 uh, glasses, it one, it hurts, but yep. it also creates noise leaks, which, yep. you know, you're spending a thousand dollars on a headset. You want them to be as quiet as possible. For sure. And, and a standard pair of glasses, uh, you're not going to do that. And, uh, and it also, dirty little secret, the, it, it makes the drivers in those headsets work harder. Um, and, uh, they might potentially fail sooner. For sure. Because and if you think that.
0: about your your ear pads too. They're going to be yep. molded to the the bigger width of the other sunglasses. So when you wear without sunglasses, you're still going to have a little gap. Yeah. Which because they're, they're going to be used to having that gap there. And then yep. you also, I what I've had to do is I've put my sunglasses on top of the ear pads, so right, they're like right. at an angle. So, I, but then you just look funny. So yeah, exactly. I know a lot of people,
1: <laughs> no, I've, yep. I've seen a lot of people do that. But yep. what you'll find uh, with with the kingfishers that you've got, uh, you'll you often. Uh, you know for me i i've forgotten i've worn been wearing them um you know our our lenses all of our lenses uh that not so all of our glasses are prescription compatible so if you if you want if you've got prescription lenses that you need to put in them you can do that um but but also uh, our non-prescription lenses uh are they're all polycarbonate so they're impact resistant it's the best quality lenses you can get they're they're all uh uv 400 which is basically blocks 100 of uv light it's awesome um one thing that that people will ask you know as, as a pilot we want non-polarized lenses and yep. because it interferes with the instruments there's a there's a perception that the that the eyewear industry is has subtly or not so subtly uh promoted and that's that polarized lenses are safer and they're they're, they're not they there's they impl- it's implied that it blocks UV light. It does not. All polarized lenses do is block a certain angle of visible light, which is great when you're on the water or on the snow. Uh, and it blocks the, the reflection of light off the, uh, water or snow or asphalt. Uh, yeah. if you're and, and that's, that can be really helpful, but it does nothing to protect your eyes from damage. That's uh, interesting. And so polarized lenses, Do a pilot no good whatsoever, and it's actually a detriment because you know you can't see uh, your PFD uh, or or even the uh, MFD or the the iPad in your lap, Um, which is
0: funny. You can't see it until you tilt your head to a certain angle where the angle allows the light to come through, which I've done before. I'm like, wait, why is it doing that? So it's good to know that that's why it's doing that.
1: (laughs) Exactly. That's an it. It it literally filters a certain angle of visible light. That's all it does. Um, So our lenses, uh, we have an option of. Well, we have, we offer non-prescription bifocals for, for people with, uh, presbyopia, you know, people, you know, over 40 that have, uh, need to be, need a little cheater to, to see things close. <laughs>
2: right. But we
1: also, <clears throat> we also offer uh, a gradient tint, which is what I mean by that is it's darker at the top and slightly ever so slightly lighter at the bottom. It's really subtle. And so if somebody's looking at you, they won't say that, oh, you you know, you're some crazy movie star with, 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 uh, uh these crazy old sunglasses. (laughs) It's a, it's a real subtle gradient so that it blocks the the harsh sunlight through the windshield, but it makes it easier to see the instrument panel. And that's that's just an option. We, we offer solid tint uh, lenses as well. And we offer copper color tint and neutral gray tint. My personal preference is a neutral gray tint. uh, But we offer the copper lenses as well that are kind of blue blocker uh, color. Um, And uh, those are, those are all very helpful. But, you know, I, I prefer polycarbonate or, or Trivex as, a, as another material that's uh, great as well over, uh, say, CR39, which is a, a cheaper plastic or glass um, for the reason of I don't if I have, a, have to make an emergency landing somewhere engine failure, uh, I don't want to have the glasses shatter and have shards of glass in my eyes.
2: Yep. Um, you could say
0: that again. <laughs>
1: yeah. And that's, that's, that's another really, really important thing for me. Uh, why, you know, these glasses are designed for not just pilots, but, but basically anybody that's outdoors and and does things, um, uh, you know, that may be considered adventurous or, or, you know, things like that. And, um, and because of that, it's, it's, it's really, really important for us to have glasses that that are uh, durable and yeah. uh, and can can deal with with things like that we had we had a um uh, a pilot um gosh just um a few months ago call us up and wanted to talk to the owner and and i i took his call and he says i just wanted to let you know your your uh, your glasses saved our lives I was like, wait what and so i wow okay well tell yeah, me what's what crazy yeah please well, tell so, me <laughs> so um he's um uh owns a, a lance area evolution and uh he and his wife and his kids were flying from southern california i'm sorry northern california the bay area uh, down to their home in uh in arizona they were at 25,000 feet going 350 knot cruise wow and yeah quite a you know it's a turboprop uh, yeah. it's, it's a fast turboprop and uh i think it's a cool airplane Um uh, For an inexplicable reason, their windshield explodes. Oh my gosh. At 25,000 feet. So they're going, you know, 350 miles an hour. uh, Sorry, 350 knots. Their windshield explodes. Shards of glass, you know, all over them. Um, And so violent that the headset goes flying off. Their headsets fly off. um, And oxygen masks gone. I mean, it's just like (laughs) pandemonium. Uh, miraculously, uh, well, not miraculously, our, des- our glasses are designed to stay on your head, uh, by their very design of the, of the temples, uh, how they fit on your face and your head. They're designed to stay on your head, and they did. Um, and because of that, and because our lenses are polycarbonate, lenses didn't shatter. Uh, he was able to see the instrument panel. By the way, it was so loud, and the, the force of the air was so strong, it was, it was, You know, if you go jump out of an airplane, your terminal velocity is, I think, what, 130 miles an hour? Something like that, that, yeah. So they had the force of wind in their face that was, what, twice that? Oh, my gosh. Um, It was so loud that his wife was yelling in his ear, like, literally right up against his ear, and he couldn't hear it.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's crazy.
1: And so it was all he could do to, well, he realized he could still see. Uh, wasn't talking to center anymore because, you know, headset's gone.
0: Yeah, I can't uh, hear. Headset's gone.
1: Yeah. But he saw, you know, he, he hit nearest on his, on his GPS on the panel and saw an air, airport, made an emergency descent. Well, I mean, obviously, he made the emergency descent almost immediately.
2: Yeah. Uh, but he was
1: able to see and did that and, and landed at a, at an airport. Um, uh, um, and landed safely and, and the family's safe and alive. And he says, I, you know, you're, your glasses saved our lives. I was like, wow. That's, that's awesome. It's got to be so
0: amazing. cool to hear that you've, like, you work so hard on this product. You've put so much time, money, energy, just your life into this, probably. And just yes. to, to hear, even just hear one story, you helped yes. change one life. It's, yes. like, it's probably like, it doesn't matter what really happens in this whole, what happens in life. I know that I helped this one person out. And that's got to feel so good.
1: It does. It does. Yeah. I, you know, I was like, you know, we, because we're both pilots, you know, we're, we talked for, Gosh, an hour about the details of every aspect of what happened, and I was like, that was amazing. Um, and uh, at the end of it, I was like, wow, you know, the, I'm, I'm sure the glasses got scratched up and all that stuff. Can I yeah. can I send you a new pair of glasses? He's like, no, no, they're they're fine. i, I, <laughs> that's I was just awesome. calling, them, thank you. It's like, wow, <laughs> that's okay. so cool. Yeah, that's that's, uh, that's really some. Um, so you'll see, um, there'll be a, there's an article in uh, Flying Magazine in the next few months uh, about that whole ordeal.
0: All right, I have this rapid-fire section of questions that I'm going to start asking you, and it's just a couple of questions, and you just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready for it? Yeah, absolutely. All right, what's the favorite? What's your favorite airplane you've ever flown? Irish 200. What's your dream airplane? PC-12.
1: Yeah, there you go.
2: I love
0: hearing that because I sometimes I forget how much I love flying the PC12. You know, you just kind of get like the shiny jet syndrome, and then you hear people say how much they love the PC12, and it kind of brings me back to me like I fly a really cool plane. You
1: you do. I've got turbine time. I've got jet time. Yeah. I've, I've flown Lear 35s. I've flown lots <laughs> of different stuff, but uh, PC12. That's that's near near and dear to my heart. Yeah, it's so many reasons.
0: Yeah, for sure. What's your favorite overnight city?
1: Fredericksburg, Texas. Okay.
0: I feel like I've been there before. I don't. I can't remember if I have. Yeah, or the not.
1: hangar. The hangar hotel is a really neat place to. Uh, That's kind of cool. It's a hangar. cool idea. It's got a diner and, and uh, at a really really nice hotel and a bar.
0: <laughs>
1: Airbus or Boeing? Boeing.
0: Favorite airport food.
1: Your favorite airport food. Uh, uh, burritos in Pecos, Texas. There uh, you go.
0: I've been to Pickus, Texas, but I never got a burrito.
1: So they, they have burritos that are from, a, from a restaurant that's uh, nearby, and they're always in the fridge. You go and get gas there, and, uh, and there's, there's always burritos available, really good salsas, homemade salsas. That's awesome. I
0: yeah. love these little hole-in-the-wall FBOs. Got to love yes. general aviation, right? Oh, love so, it. Yeah. All right, here's one. What's your favorite thing about aviation? Freedom. Freedom. It's a good one. Who in the industry would you like to meet?
1: Any astronaut who currently flies, yeah, I would love to meet any astronaut who currently flies.
0: I would agree. If any of one of those are listening to the podcast, let yes. me know. I'd love to talk to you. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Piper or Cessna, Cessna. All right, and last one. What is one thing you wish you knew before you started your training?
1: Probably how expensive it is to uh, <laughs> to own your own airplane. So I've owned yeah. I've owned several, and yeah. uh, it's expensive, but it's still I. Yeah, love having my own airplanes.
0: So. Yeah, I agree. That's my goal. That's my dream in life is to have yep. an airplane. So yep. I know it's expensive, and I've heard the two best days of your life are the day you buy an airplane and the day you sell it. So you know what?
1: I I, I have to disagree with that. I've really? bought and sold several airplanes over the years, and um, it, it is it is really exciting uh, to to buy it. Um, selling it? No, never never was uh, never was the happiest day of my life. That's uh, good. Selling I'm it. Glad even to even hear Even when I was upgrading, um, I still, you know, if I could afford it, I would, I would own five airplanes. I would keep the airplanes (laughs) I buy and, and, and step up and buy more just because I enjoy, I enjoy it so much. I mean, heck, I I still, you know, fly. I mean, I, I fly much faster airplanes now regularly, but I'll still hop into a Cessna 152 in a heartbeat and, and, and enjoy it. And I like the challenge of, you know, hey, I can still land a 152 or 172 <laughs> where it's, you know, a squeaker right out of the, it's like, wow, hey, I can still do that. Cool. Yeah, you know, I haven't flown a, not, have a small sure. plane
0: in a while. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So it'll be interesting going back to 172, 152 and Arrow and see what I could do. So I know what you
1: mean. Exactly. It's fun.
0: All right, Dean. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm so thankful, like I said earlier, just that you saw a need in the aviation community. And rather than wait for someone to create something, you created yourself. And I'm also thankful for the sunglasses. I'm looking forward to trying them out. I can't wait to not have headaches when I fly to Mexico and fly for 10, 12 hours. So I'm really looking forward to that. Thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for, uh, for having me on. I, I really appreciate uh, the uh, the invitation and it's been a, it's been a lot of fun.
0: No problem. Maybe sometime get you coming on again. We can talk about some more flying stuff.
1: Absolutely. Love it.
0: Perfect. Have a good one.
1: You too. Take care.
0: Thanks. And that is a wrap of episode 30. Aviation I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you do, like always, let us know. Leave us a review. Let us know via email. HQ at gmail.com. I can't wait for next year. I have some big, big, big things planned that I'm going to need your help to do. So let's go ahead and get this going. 2018 is going to be an amazing year, and I hope that you guys are flying like crazy. hope you guys are getting all your goals and help spread this podcast to everyone. Let everyone know about it. Let everyone know that we're making pilot-to-pilot podcasts, and I can help them get into aviation and help them continue their training. Aviation I hope you have a great day and happy flying.